all this clearing and earth moving we've been doing in order to plant the new orchard has made me wonder what life would be like if we did not have petroleum to call on. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of March the 2nd, 2011, actually recorded a day early because we're going to be doing some traveling tomorrow. And the latest news is all about disruptions in the Middle East and the accompanying rise in the cost of crude oil. And yes, you and I both have been doing some thinking about what farming here at Longleaf Breeze would be like with exorbitantly priced oil or no oil at all. Yeah, I mean, when you think about everything we did to clear the orchard, well, first of all, Dave Gray had his bulldozer. Then we came behind with the tractor. You, uh, you've used the box blade. Then we had the auger, augers, yours and Dave Gray's, to drill the holes. Uh, now we're trying to get grass seed to grow. And so you've used the tractor and gone up there and done some digging around, although you have done a lot of that by hand. Some of it by um, hand. The fact that we are, we've depended upon landscape fabric, which, you know, you haul that in and a big truck you can't really walk to your home with a big roll of landscape fabric i mean there's just so much when you think about everything involved that we have depended on being able to get uh, fairly inexpensive or at least accessible fossil fuel and let us confess here at the outset that when we talk about subsistence farming after peak oil we're not talking about how society is going to cope with all of this. That is a really good conversation. It needs to be happening more than it is. It certainly is already happening in many circles. But the focus of our discussion today is what's life going to be like for subsistence farmers like us? Um, and excuse us, it's not like we don't care about those other things. It's just this is something we understand, so we're uh, we're right. taking that little piece yeah. and carving it out to talk yeah. about it. Well, it's sort of like this is where we are. This is where we live. Talk about what you know, yeah. and that's what we're, we're yeah, doing. We're talking right. about what we know. And I confessed this to you the other day. One of the real challenges of this kind of conversation is that you have to think about so many uncertainties. There's um, the possibility that oil will become very expensive, but that's not a big revelation. Everybody understands yeah. that. I mean, Europe is ahead of us on that. And, you know, I've been going to England for decades, and petrol has always been more expensive there than here. And, you know, we're just kind of following in their footsteps, really. And we have kept our petroleum price artificially low by subsidizing it in many different ways. Um, so we here in the United States don't fully understand what the high cost of petroleum means yet. Right. And whether or not politically, you know, our, our government will continue to do that is another question entirely. Um, but let's say that petrol or gas or whatever you want to call it, continues to go up, and we have no reason to believe it won't. It might be spiky. You know, you, you're the one who's the expert on, you follow the 
uh, podcasts and all the, the talk about that. But it may not be a straight line increase, but it's going to ultimately be We assume expensive. that the overall trend will be upward, although there will be disconcerting spikes and collapses in the price from time to time. Right. So, you know, that's going to happen, and then there's a trickle-down effect or a, some sort of exponential mushroom effect, however you want to look at it, whichever metaphor you choose, that will affect all parts of the electrical grid. I mean, all you might say, well, then let's just use some other form of power. Let's just have electric cars. Let's just use natural gas. And, and let's face it, most of America, most of the United States, is not saying, they're not participating in this conversation at all because they have this deep-seated faith that somebody will think of something that keeps their life from changing. Right. Uh, and you and I don't have that faith. Well, the parallel I would invite people to look at is the Green Revolution and the Blue Revolution of the early 70s. Uh, this idea that well, we'll just figure out technologies to harvest food from the oceans or, you know, you, you can go on and on. And, and that just didn't work out. And that's not, a dis that's not what our subject for discussion is here. But there have been, in other words, it's not unprecedented to think technology will bail us out. But it can't, it, it's not always going to do that. It doesn't work that way. As we view these various uncertainties, you and I have to think about what happens if the continuing high price of or unavailability of petroleum causes a collapse of economic activity so that the banks fail, stores fail, businesses fail, uh, mortgages go unpaid, uh, and... Boy, that really is a doomsday picture, isn't it? it? <laughs> well, it's... If it's doomsday if your idea of human happiness depends on business as usual. And I guess that's one of the key points that I would like for us to convey today. If you are not married to business as usual, you can envision a life after collapse of economic activity that is not hellish. It may be more stark. It may be simpler. Yeah but it doesn't have to be miserable. That's right. And I think that's one reason you and I want to go ahead and build our lodge so that if we have people who need to come here, stay here, live with us, whatever, we'll be able to provide for ourselves and with their help, other people as well. And the other uncertainty we face is the possibility of a collapse of law and order. Oh, that's, that's the part that really frightens me. That is frightening to you and me both. However, my assumption is that if there is a collapse of law and order, that is very likely also to mean that we have more people coming here to live on the farm with us. Safety in numbers, at least. Correct. And we will um, end up with a community of people here that can look out for each other and so forth. Those are not pleasant scenarios. No. I don't have any way of putting a positive spin on a collapse of law and order. That's a most unpleasant prospect. Yeah. But well, let's try to think positive and, and remain on the, at least talk about something that's not, uh, you know, we don't want to put anybody off by saying that is really extreme. Because 
uh, even it, it, to take an optimistic turn to say, well, maybe there will be some adaptation. Maybe people will wise up in time to make some changes so that we can gradually ease into this and make provisions for our society. I no longer have that confidence. I, I have no confidence that society will properly prepare for the events that are coming down the road. What I do have confidence in is your ability and my ability to take care of basic human needs. All right. So let's talk a little bit about basic human needs. What infl- I mean, other than Maslow's hierarchy of needs, what influences your perception of what those are? Uh, good question. I, I, I'll call back to a column I read maybe a week or two ago, maybe three weeks ago, from John Michael Greer, the gist of which is we humans need to disabuse ourselves of the notion that coping with the challenges of the future is going to be all about keeping the electrical grid robust and keeping the cars running. What we need to be focusing on instead, he says, is how, what are our basic human needs and how can we provide for them? And when he talks about basic human needs, he's not talking about HBO. <laughs> right. He's talking about we need air. Or Facebook. Or Facebook. <laughs> That's right. We need air. We need water. We need food. We need shelter. And I would add we need relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. And so... I guess those are the the starting points for our conversation about life here at Longleaf Breeze. So I guess we start with air. Um, well, one thing about living out in the country, I, it is, it's cleaner air. You know, I really like it. Yeah. I'm, in my prayer time each day, I thank God for fresh air and a good respiratory system so mm-hmm. that I can make the most of it. Uh, but the, I don't know of a whole lot we can do beyond that. No. That's not something you can grow for just for yourself. Right. We're totally interconnected with the rest yeah, of the planet we on are. that. Yeah. So uh, what about water? We do have our well right now. Right now we're pumping from a 228-foot well using power from the grid provided by Central Alabama Electric Co-op. Uh, the only change that we are contemplating there is um, one of the changes we hope to make in the very near future is to build a system that's based on using photovoltaic panels to pump from a tank that will harvest rainwater. Doesn't use nearly as much power. The other thing that uh, we're talking about doing is having some kind of dual tank system where we pump during photovoltaic time from a downhill tank to an uphill tank. And then uh, that gives us gravity-fed water when we have no grid power. So that's the water piece. Yeah. What about food? Uh, You're the farmer-in-chief. How are we (laughs) fixed for food, Farmer Borden? Well, in the short term, you know, we do, you and I both eat meat. Um, I don't have to have it very often, but you know, we do like our grilled chicken and every now and then like to smoke a turkey or smoke some chicken or, um, and then, you know, we have the, um, 
oh, that big boiler for doing a low country boil. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, shrimp does. Of course, the shrimp is not local. So we probably won't be doing shrimp when the, the crash or the collapse comes. But I think about what we can do here. We can grow our own veg. We've just planted 87 new fruit trees. In addition, and I think now we've said what we have over 100 because we had some before. Easily. So if we can somehow organically manage that fruit production and, you know. And and we certainly have have confidence we can. A a fruit crop someday, then that's going to be great. Um, We won't have any meat, though. So we've got several alternatives here on the farm. We have plenty of acreage to have chickens for eggs. Um, Certainly we've talked about hunting deer for a source of meat because we have deer on the property. Um, Although when the rest of society is struggling for food, the deer may become unavailable. So I'm not relying on that. They have a long way to go because they're overpopulated. (laughs) But yeah, that's possible. Yeah. And I'm not big into venison anyway. So I'm much more um, hoping to see us have a source of milk and dairy, uh, either goats or cows. And um, we have a pond. So you know, the pond would probably jump to the top of our priority list. We may have talked some in the past about we don't, we're not managing that pond right now. It's just sitting there. But we would quickly learn to do so so that we could stock it with fish that we could eat. I agree. Um, and then, of course, grain becomes an issue because we cannot grow in this part of the country. We cannot, cannot grow wheat. However, not the kind can, of wheat you use typically for, for yes, bread. Yes, right. I, I should clarify that. The, the edible, the human type. Um, but we, um, we do know of some sources for wheat berries that we can buy and store. We actually have a deep freeze full of wheat berries right now. And they store for a long time. Uh, and we have our own grinder for that. We could also um, grind cornmeal. If I can learn to grow... Uh, successfully grow dent corn or some kind of corn that's appropriate for cornmeal, that would be another source of something. I don't know if you technically would call that a grain, but it would be something. Absolutely. Um, So we would have some ways to keep going with our diet. We would just end up having to do a lot more ourselves. As in so many things, the choices become simpler and more stark, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I think food, given that we are subsistence farmers, food is probably the one that gives us the least heartburn. Right. We sort of think, okay, we can handle that. And some of the things that we can't get locally, you know, we'd have to go through either a barter system or something. That would just become our uh, coffee, tea, chocolate, you know, those things that we can't Correct. None of which are really necessities, but all of which are, they bring us pleasure. Coffee is a necessity, believe uh, me. <laughs> uh, you know, and therein lies the uh, the challenge of post-peak planning. I know. Things that we consider now to be necessities may turn out to be not so. Yeah. And then, uh, well, and, and before we run out of time, let's talk a little bit about some of the other needs. What about shelter? There, we we also think we're fairly well protected there as well. Shelter, for me, is a matter of staying dry, cool in the summer, warm in the winter. That's sort of what I think of as shelter. And we have been quite pleasantly surprised 
at how easy it is to keep our home here warm in the winter. I know. We can yeah. do that without much work at all. Thanks. It takes a little firewood, yeah. but... Um, we got plenty of that. We have plenty of firewood. It We do use petroleum to cut and split our firewood, and we use petroleum to carry those firewood pallets around, but we could do it without that. If yeah, we if we had lots to. of help, if we had some labor to help Certainly. us. And, and in all of this, I guess our thinking is that as the availability of petroleum declines, the supply of labor will increase. That's right. I think that we will have more people here on the farm. Uh, we hope our family, for example. And that kind of gets us into the next... Uh, human need that you've mentioned, relationships. We will have more people relating to us um, here on the farm and close by. We can help our neighbors. They can help us. We have church friends. We have neighbors. And we've identified this year, 2011, as the year we're going to do a better job of reaching out to our neighbors. And we've really not kicked that into gear no, yet. We've sort of been overwhelmed with the Orchard Project. That's true. We haven't reached out to much of anybody. I, 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 I agree. We deserve a special dispensation, don't we? I think so. We? And if we have not reached out to you out there somewhere, then we are so sorry. And the only reason, do not be offended. It's because we've been overwhelmed. <laughs> Just two of us trying to, well, three if you count Dave Gray and the bulldozer. But once he's been gone, it's the two of us trying to manage all this. So it's just a bit overwhelming at the moment. It'll get better. So, and in addition to neighbors, we're thinking about family and friends, and in particular, our friends at our church. Yes. And I think in some form, cultivating and maintaining those relationships is going to, sur- is going to require some travel. So the question is, will we be able to travel in a Toyota Corolla, in a Vespa, on bikes, Walking, we really don't know. Some combination, probably, of but all. But we of are those. prepared to do what needs to be done to maintain those relationships. I hope, and I know we're running short of time, but I hope we can finish with some thoughts about why this is not reason for despair. Actually, some aspects might be pleasant. The fact that life is simpler, even if it's harder. Simplicity has its advantages, doesn't it? <laughs> And living life in rhythm with the sun and with the seasons, I think, is a source of pleasure for us humans, a a pleasure for which we have lost sight in some ways. I know. When you you work in the corporate world or even in just any institutional building, there's an attempt to make it feel the same regardless of the season. The air conditioning's on, usually, and I'm always cold in those buildings anyway. Mm. But the point is, it's almost as if this artificial world out there is trying to get us to ignore what we really need to be aware of, which is, as you said, the, the rhythm of each day, the rhythm of each season, you know, and all of that. I mean, that's why, that's how our ancestors made do. That's how they... That's why we have almanacs and that kind of thing, you know, because there is a sense that it matters what the season is. And our little installment of that rhythm is that a week from today, we will be back with another podcast. And we look forward to seeing you then. Have a great week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. 
We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log, check in with Lee and Amanda, and talk with other listeners. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.